Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, Holtcast listeners. Cole here. Just a quick little note before we dive into this edition of the podcast. So, of course, over the last month or so, we've announced that we've teamed up with Acorns Children's Hospice. Well, I'm pleased to announce we finally have a Just Giving page set up to raise funds for such a great cause that means so much to the entire Villa community worldwide. So, of course, if you want to leave a donation, you can go to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash villa and leave a donation it doesn't matter how big or small it is it's always appreciated by us and of course all those fine folks at acorns that do so much good work within the community as well so of course um, get involved as much as you want you'll be hearing this a lot over the next little bit and yeah we appreciate the support as always now let's get you over to the regularly scheduled edition of the holtcast Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast in association with Acorns Children's Hospice. Cole Pedham here as always and of course we're here to chat all things Aston Villa. A little bit more painful um, this Sunday uh, morning for me and Tom. It's just me and Tom Nightingale here on this one of course so we'll get to Tom here in a minute. But like I was saying um, a very somber morning. Uh, very glad we're recording this on the Sunday instead of the Saturday, to say the least. You hear this on the Monday, of course, just to give you a sense of timing. But uh, yeah, we're in a very reflective, um, confused mood, I would probably say maybe kind of exemplifies that the best. But nonetheless, Tom, how's it going for you? Oh, it's, that, it's that old saying, isn't it? You win some, you lose some, and then some you throw away from 2-0 up with 10 minutes left. It's uh, It was a... Uh, collapse for the ages I think for Villa I was trying to think you know the last time that we'd been that in control of a game and just completely surrendered it in that nature and I all I could come up with was the uh when we were 2-0 up against Leicester in I think what was their title winning season quite early on we were 2-0 up at the King Power when Grealish scored his first goal and then they scored three not in quite the same time frame as Wolves yesterday but from 2-0 from 2-0 up to 3-0 down but this one was just so much worse because of the, you know, the, the the lateness of the goals, the fact that we hadn't even looked particularly good, and then we took complete command of the game, bit of luck with the with the McGinn deflected strike. And I just I'm still been trying to work out how that's happened, to be honest. Yeah, it's it, it's a really weird one, to be honest. And I think the last one that I can think of, and I think it would have been Liverpool's title winning season, was that game. I think we were up one nil. And we just conceded two quick goals at the end. And I mean, fair enough. They they actually, I guess, fair enough to Leicester too. They won the league that season. So maybe that's a theme. Um, I don't like thinking about that season, to be honest, because honestly, we were flying a little bit. And it seems like as soon as we hit that Leicester loss, we just absolutely went down the toilet through the tubes and out to the oblivion, really. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Yesterday was the strangest of games. And I, I mean it from, oh, to be honest, and this podcast is probably going to be a little bit all over the place, to be honest. I don't think there's going to be any kind of proceeding of exact timing of from goal to goal to goal, but we'll try to make best sense of it as we can. I thought 2-0 flattered us when we were up 2-0, oh, and yeah, I think that's yeah. the best way to probably put it. Um, the first half was extremely sloppy by both sides. I don't know how many times the ball went out of play just from someone miscontrolling literally the ball, not even from a pass, um, and just a lot of poor giveaways from both sides um and to be honest you'd probably have to say a draw would have been fair on the day um but again to concede three goals in 15 minutes um is concerning that's the second game in the premier league season this season so within what eight games that we've conceded three goals um against watford and now against wolves i mean let's be fair and the third goal, like we said before in our chat, Tom, it was a fluke. Um, it was a very poor free kick that just on its day um, took the wildest of deflections and beat Martinez, didn't even have a chance. Uh, one player I do feel bad for yesterday, especially because he had no chance in any of them. Um, but 
you kind of look at it and like I said before, we can't really complain about deflections because we've had about a gazillion. It feels like yeah. as of late, but uh, I guess maybe the one thing that we can really start on is that kind of sloppy, slow and disconnected play. Like it just, I guess we can maybe even dive into the three, five, two, five, three, two formation. Where do you kind of sit with not only the sloppiness and the disconnect yesterday, but with that formation, because I know for me, I, I sit there and I think it can work on its day, but it's not an every game tactic information mm-hmm. you want to use. And I think you said it uh, yesterday, Tom, in the group chat was uh, it, unfortunately, it's another case for your Dean Smith out brigade to kind of put that in their stock and say he's being one dimensional again. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the thing is with the, uh... The five at the back, I think, yeah, I think we spoke about it on a previous pod when Danny was on, I think. Like, um, it's it worked very well at Chelsea. Okay, we lost 3-0, but there was an, a real element of misfortune to that as well, I think. And I thought we competed with Chelsea very, very well um, that game at Stamford Bridge with five at the back. It's worked a couple of other times since then, but I just, I we seem to be slipping into this um, trap, I guess, of playing the same formation every game. In my opinion, we shouldn't, be playing five at the back at home to Wolves. I don't like that at all, really. And I know that our options are limited at the moment because we've got a pretty broad range of wing talent uh, on the wings, going from players that some fans might consider like relatively average, Trezeguet, El Ghazi, like those sorts of players, to like your Triores and your Baileys who do have that sort of wow factor. Three, three out of those four I've just named aren't fit. And the other one, okay, you've got El Ghazi's fit, but you can't only play one winger. You know, if you're going to play with wingers, you have to play with two wingers. And I think that's really impeding us at the moment. I, I, I'm i looking forward to a point, as I think we all are, when uh, not only Bailey is fit, but Traore is fit, and we can start playing with some width in midfield and attack rather than having to supply that width purely from fullbacks bombing forward. Like, I, I like what the 5-3-2 brings out in Matty Cash. I thought Cash had an excellent game yesterday. Um and he's just, it suits him really well, right? He's played as a winger for a bit as Forrest. He's very quick getting up and down the right-hand side. Whereas already you're bringing in a certain element of lopsidedness because Target doesn't have that pace and I don't think has that natural attacking um, outlet that that Cash has. I think Target's attacking play last season benefited a lot from the fact that he was linking up with Grealish all the time. Um, so already there, it's lopsided. And I just, you know, the midfield three I praised a couple of weeks ago of, uh, McGinn, Louise, Ramsey. I think in certain games that has looked very, very good for us. Good control of the ball, you know, decent amount of creativity. Um, yesterday, I, I the player who probably stood out most for me was Brendia. I thought Brendia was far and away the best we've seen him. Um, finding pockets of space didn't always come off. Sometimes he got crowded out. Sometimes what he was trying to do didn't quite come together. That's just the nature of it, right? But he was looking actively to supply that link from midfield to the strikers, but you can just tell it's a team that hasn't had any real time to gel. We haven't been able to keep all of the same players on the pitch for a long period of time. And then I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto this, but for me, there's a big issue with trying to shoot, still a big issue with trying to shoehorn both Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings up front into this team. There's a real disconnect for me between midfield and attack. And that's, I think, one of, if not the major problem that Smith has to try and solve um, in the coming weeks. Well, I mean, let's, let's discuss it now because it's, uh, it's frustrating because it kind of, it's almost, and you see this with, it doesn't even have to be just football. It could be any sport. You'll see sports teams by a certain player. Maybe it was expected. Maybe you always kind of wish they would join your team. And then it just seems like they're kind of shoehorned in. They're a square peg and a round hole. And it almost just now it just kind of feels like we bought Danny Ings almost for the hell of it because we needed a second striker. And now it's almost like we're, we're we can't drop both. We it's like, they're all worried that you just, you just can't do that. And it's, it's to the detriment of the team, in my opinion. Now, of course, against United and before that it, it worked for a little bit. And I, I can see why it works because when you're going to a top side and I mean, United have lost well, like three on the bounce now or something like that. So um, I guess we started at least that trend for them. So uh, that's, that's one accomplishment as of late, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it, I just don't understand why we're just shoehorning them in and it's not working. And 
you can look at Ollie Watkins. He's a striker that clearly likes to play by himself. He likes others to kind of run off of him. And Ings has history of playing with two up top. Of course, I think he did so at Burnley. And of course he did at Southampton with Che Adams as well. And it worked, but Che Adams is more of a kind of, um, I wouldn't say a rough and tumble, but he's going to go into those kind of gritty areas too and win the ball. And he's going to maybe set him up more so than Watkins is. And you can kind of see that yesterday was probably the best example, how many times they're getting in each other's way. Um, the disconnect of one kind of going out wide and the other being what it feel like light years away from the other. It just, I, I don't know. It kind of overshadows when one of them scores in my opinion, because then people go, Oh, well, one of them scored. Mm. Yes. Walking scored against Spurs, but I don't know. It's kind of a flatter to deceive. And even yesterday it's, it's a half chance that was taken well. And sometimes that's all you need. But again, I, I sit there and I look at this and I, I think if you play with one up top, you, and again, this is when everyone's healthy, you would probably have Triore and Bailey out wide. Uh, maybe Buendia as your central attacking midfielder, or if you want to put him on the right as well, he had a fantastic season on the right last season with Norwich too. So it, it, it's a tricky one because I, I don't really understand, and I'll stop ranting here in a second so you can speak, but the one thing that frustrates me the most is why wouldn't you want someone like Watkins or Ings to come off the bench? Like I can understand why you want them together because technically it should be lots of goals and that's what you would think. But at the end of the day, it's not working and it just, it needs to be resolved. And if we go into Arsenal on Friday with that, I have no confidence to be honest. I think the thing with uh, touching upon why, you know, why wouldn't you want one of them off the coming off the bench or whatever? Like obviously in an ideal situation, they work together well up front, but it's, if it's not, looking like it's working particularly well, then it's that question of how long do you stick with it? And I think an issue really, we're going to talk about Smith a little bit as well later on, because I think this is a really, really pivotal season for Smith. Um, we'll come back to it. But in terms of the Watkins and Ings thing, a, a real factor I think is that Smith's done a very good job working his way up the lower up the lower leagues. He's impressed whenever he's been. He's take, God knows, you know, he's taken Villa improvement upon improvement upon improvement <clears throat> over the last three seasons. Um, but a situation he has never had before, you know, by any means, is to have two strikers, both with a pretty proven goal record, both having commanded transfer fees in excess of 30 million. I wonder if he's got this feeling that he has to have, you know, they have to both be on the pitch. Not necessarily that they're undroppable, but I think it's quite hard for a manager like Dean Smith to bench a 30 million pound striker in the way that it's probably not hard for managers like, you know, I don't know the top tier, your Klops or whoever, because for a start, they've got all that talent throughout the squad. Um, But I wonder if it's a call that at the moment is a little bit too big for Smith to make. And if that is the case, then it's a bit concerning, right? Because I, I, I do what I would like to see at the moment. I don't think there's much other option really, because we don't have the wingers fit. We've got the mid, it's whoever you put in the midfield three, whether Buendia is the attacking, you know, the attacking creative outlet at the top of the midfield. And then you have two flat center midfielders or whether you have a more dynamic three where, you know, they're sort of moving around each other. Um, But you have that midfield, you have the back five, you have the midfield three, you have the front two. That's what we have at the moment. Okay. You could push Buendia out onto the right wing. You could play Al Ghazi left wing. Um. I wouldn't necessarily advocate for that. So, I, you know, I'm just, I guess I'm sort of talking back on myself because what do you do? Whereas when Bailey and Triore are fit, I, I'm going to be very disappointed if we don't at least try the system of one attacking focal point up top in attack, two wingers, and then a midfield three again, whoever you want your midfield three to be, because there are a lot of good candidates in there, I think, really. Um, but the Watkins and Ings thing, it's just, I haven't seen both of them play well in the same game yet, I don't think. Um, you know, Ings had good games, Watkins had good games, but I always feel that when, you know, when one of them shows up, the other one is missing slightly. Um, and I thought yesterday was a good example. Watkins put in some hard graft, as did Ings. But I mean, Ings, you know, was the sort of headliner with the, took his took his header very well. Um, had another great chance. One thing that was great to see was Brendia. That 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 moment when Brendia slipped that through ball into Ings and it was a great save from the keeper. That's exactly the kind of link up that we're hoping to see, right? From between Brendia and the strikers. 
But I just didn't really see very much of Watkins. And it's because we haven't found a system yet that finds a way to decisively incorporate them both into games, particularly in key moments. Um, and it's, you know, how do you solve that problem? It's, it's, it's a real difficult one. But that's why we're talking about it being a pivotal season for Smith, because his tactical analysis being tested this season in a way that it just has not really been tested before when, you know, plan A was to go through Grealish every time. Um, now he's got to find the workaround and where are we like, okay, we've had injury problems and COVID and stuff, but we're mid October and we're still some way away from finding it. I think. Yeah. And I remember saying, I think it was with you and Simon on, and I just have that feeling that we're going to be a second half team of the season. It just, uh, to be honest, I, I can't see Bailey playing against Arsenal. Uh, if he does, he's coming off the bench. It's just, it's too soon. Yeah. I um, and to be honest, I'd rather have him sit out if it's one of those things where you get him for one game and then he might be out for two, or if you sit him and then you get him for X number of games. I'm okay with that. It's, and I, I can't, I don't understand. The one thing I'll say, I don't understand about the Dean Smith out thing. And I guess we can discuss that quickly is, well, who else are you going to get? Um, people can say you can give it to Craig Shakespeare, but doesn't mean what he replicated at Leicester for that half a season or whatever it was, is going to replicate again. Um, I, I I understand the concern that people have because I have some of them too. And it is that one dimensional, it's almost like a comfort thing. It's it, okay. It worked once or twice. So let's keep it going. And I, I can understand that thought process and not wanting to change it the first time it doesn't work. And the thing is yesterday too, it, it it's hard. It, it, it's a flatter to deceive thing because we were two nil up and if we would have won even two one you it would technically we won so it works it's it's basically a microcosm of the game cost the whole game it's so hard to look at it that way because again we just discussed walk-ins and ings and we want more goals of course what team doesn't and you spend all this money on strikers and that's of course what you want and it's it's just it, it's it's a really tough one to nail down because like you said tom we could stick algazi and bundia out wide and i think that could honestly i think it could work against a certain certain teams on the right day it's it's just when does that come into effect mm. and the, the other thing i do wonder is and the one thing i noticed and a few people kind of mentioned on twitter too um usually and usually not the people that do a lot of moaning so maybe i kind of look at them put a little bit more weight behind what they say because it's not just pure negativity (laughs) every day but i I don't know it just did did it not seem right to you yesterday in terms of the players i don't none of them seemed i'm not saying they had to run around with smiles on their faces but like it just i don't know it didn't really seem like they enjoyed it it looked like even we're until nil up it just looked like there was frustration on their face i don't know if i'm reading into this it just i don't know it just doesn't seem like it's almost like they're not happy with playing that formation and mm-hmm. it, i don't want to make anything up i can't read their mind but like i don't know it just it just doesn't seem like there was that kind of connectivity that we've kind of grown to love over yeah. the last season in a bit but how do yeah. you see it I mean, I'm sort of, I'm wary to read too much into stuff like that, body language, that sort of thing. But I mean, I wouldn't, it, what I will say is, you know, coming back to it, I like, I do, I don't think this Villa team has an identity at all. You know, I think we've got in like Tyrone Mings, I think we've got a captain who really, really does feel the weight of responsibility of being Aston Villa captain. I really do feel that from, from Mings. Um, and, you know, as we've talked about before, like, Whatever you think about his ability, which for me, he's, he's a really solid centre-back, prone to the odd mistake, but no more than anybody else is, really. Um, I think the good far outweighs the bad in terms of his performances. It's more than that about Mings. He's, you know, it's his character and um, he's exactly the kind of person that you want around in dressing room and on the pitch at your football club. The same for John McGinn, who, of course, I believe now is vice captain for us. I, lo- I love him in that role. I think yesterday I thought uh, Guinea Esther was back, I have to say. Um, I think I saw something in the goal and assist and he had the, you know, most take-ons, most, you know, topped our stats charts in a few categories. I think he's been excellent. He's one of these who stepped up since Grealish has gone. I think, again, like Ming's taking on that responsibility. So you have those figures in there, but then it's just difficult because I don't feel like we have a, you know, a, 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 an identity, a playing style, uh, 
you know, we, we don't, we, you can't really define this Aston Villa team at the moment. And okay, last season, the last few seasons, we would be defined by Jack Grealish, which obviously you don't want to be defined by one player. That's not the situation you want to be in. But what, like, at least last season and the season before, plan A was to give the ball to Grealish and hope that something magical happened. At least we had a plan A. Whereas this season, I'm not, not like, it's not in, I'm not Smith out by any means at all. I really like him. Just give, you know, this is a this is a freak result in a lot of ways, but I do think it speaks to the fact that um, I think we're a little lost in terms of the team we want to be on the pitch. Um, the, you know, injuries and stuff don't help. You do have to keep coming back to these mitigating factors because it's it, it's it'd be unfair to leave them out of the discussion when you're talking about no identity. I think if we had like Bailey and Traore and players like that fit, I do believe that Bailey and Traore would probably start most games. I think we would probably be playing with wingers if they were fit. Um, but I mean, in, injuries and absences only go a certain way to explaining why things aren't going particularly well. You know, it's not disastrous, but it's yes, yesterday was not good, let's be real. And I think it was a real sign of the fact that you know, we're 2-0 up. We should have had control of the game. We brought Nakamba on at 1-0. We scored, I think, almost instantaneously after Nakamba came on. You've got to be able to close that game out. Like, it shouldn't be hard. I know that Wolves brought Podence on and they brought a couple of Fabio Silva, I think. And they they made, went really attacking with their changes after conceding the second the second goal, which if you're talking about luck with the deflection for their <laughs> winger, their winner, then, you know, the second goal to go 2-0 up was pretty lucky itself. Um. But, you know, you've got to be able to see that game out. And I think it speaks to, you know, a lack of identity. And also, I do think maybe a lack of confidence. It, it's it's sad to see. It's not disastrous, I don't think. But, like, there's going to be a big performance needed against Arsenal on Friday, really. Yeah. I mean, the one, I mean, John McGinn was, uh, he is the promotion campaign John McGinn. Oh, he's back, isn't he? Yeah. he if anything, he's better. Um, yeah. He's as fit as he's ever been. Um, and you can see that and it's just, it's such a shame because of course you can look back at time and say what could have been, but if we had this John McGinn last season with Grealish, I mean, yeah, I, we would, we would have been a lot higher up in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a shame. And then you see people kind of being concerned. Well, if John McGinn's going to play like this, this season, we're going to lose him next. And I hate that mindset because it can creep in so easily. Mm-hmm. And I understand the whole like enjoy kind of players while you have them, of course, and you should do that. But like, I don't know. I just think you look at someone like McGinn and what he means to the midfield. And I look at that freak result last 15 minutes and you sit there and think like it, it just takes away from such a good performance and it really shouldn't uh, for some, it might not. Um, but I mean, a goal and an assist, the way he uses his body to shield the ball, um it's you don't get many players like him anymore just Mm. not even on the pitch off the pitch as well with that personality and i just think that he is so crucial to this midfield and what we're building that not having him whether it's through injury or whatever um i just i i sit there and i i think i just don't think you can replace him anymore and there Mm. There was that kind of time for a lot of people where he came back from injury last season and he just didn't look right. Maybe kind of a little bit uh, hesitant to go into challenges. And I can understand that coming back. And he's just, I don't know what's happened this summer, but he Mm -hmm. is a completely different player. And again, he's another one where you look at, he's under a long-term contract. If someone wants him, it's going to be for a hell lot of money. And I guess, Tom, if you want to speak about him for a quick minute, it's it's and maybe even just as the club as a whole, it's another piece of good business that, you know what, if we are going to lose our top assets and I'm not saying we are going to lose John McGinn. But again, it's such a change in mindset of how we have went from, okay, well, you played good for two seasons. You can leave for nothing or you can leave for five million pounds. Now it's like, okay. You're here for four more years. If you're going to leave, it's for 50. It's uh, it's it's a nice change, isn't it? It's interesting talking about McGinn's 
you know, form and the the, the, the path he's been on in terms of, you know, promotion season, that, that outstanding at championship level. And then, okay, started the Premier League well, like you said, injury bit, like, bit tough to get back to the levels of form, but he's back there. And if not, you know, maybe surpassing them now. I think that's a sort of, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good way to look at Villa as a whole, I think, at the moment. It's that word that I say a lot on these podcasts, I think, which is patience. I'm going to come back to it again because it's just, you know, McGinn, there were fans not necessarily writing him off, but there were fans saying six months ago, even, that uh, McGinn wasn't quite the level of player that we needed to be looking at if we were going to be pushing for Europe and that sort of stuff when his form wasn't quite as good. And now I think he's, I thought yesterday he was our standout player, maybe Buendia before Buendia went off, but I thought McGinn was exceptional. And I think it's that it's that thing of you just, you cannot have knee-jerk responses to things because knee-jerk responses to things, you know, occasionally, if we're going to talk about sacking a manager, you know, the, occasionally sacking a manager and appointing a new manager works out very well. You know, occasionally it leads to a rise up the table, you know, you, but that's in a situation where the manager has lost the dressing room and when things are going badly on a consistent basis, like that's not Villa at all. That isn't that, that those criteria do, aren't, aren't, you know, aren't reflective of Villa's situation at all. Like I genuinely believe that Villa's, certainly the vast majority of Villa's squad loves playing for Dean Smith. I think there's a very, very good bond in the dressing room with the coach, not just Smith Smith, but with Shakespeare and with the coaching staff. Um, and okay, yesterday's result was the manner of the defeat was pretty disastrous, but like losing three, two at home to Wolves is bad, but it's not, it's not a manager's job on the line bad, particularly when you've won at Old Trafford in recent weeks. And, you know, I know that's only one result, but it's been a real mixed bag, but Villa are a mixed bag team. Let's be real. When was the last time that Villa weren't a mixed bag team? I'll tell you, it was when we were terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I've, you know, I've been watching Villa for over 20 years now. And I think the only times that I've been able, I would actually be able to point at Villa and say that, that Aston Villa are a consistently good side was the O'Neill years. And even then, God knows we had some absolutely stinking results. So the defeat yesterday is the kind of freak result that you won't see Villa lose a, lose a game in that manner again for years. Because it's the, you know, 2-0 up, 3-2 down, 10 with, you know, in the last 10 minutes doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. Happens to pretty much every team at some point. Exactly. And while I'm not saying that, obviously it's a bad thing that it happened, but I'm certainly a lot less angry about it now than I was yesterday. Because I just think to a certain extent, the situational as well, like the subs at the time. Sorry, I'm jumping around here, but the subs at the time, I was really, uh, I was really disappointed that Buendia came off at the time that it happened because I thought we need to start getting 90 minutes in this guy consistently. Um, he just, he was having his best game first. Uh, we were 2 0 up. He was finding the space and starting to link up a bit better with the strikers. And I thought this is an absolutely golden opportunity for him to play 90 minutes first, start playing himself into some real form. And then, so for him to come off, I was really disappointed. But then, you know, Smith's come out since the game and said that, you know, Brendier actually asked to come off because he felt like he'd run himself into the ground and he had nothing left. And then, like, Matty Cash going off apparently had a dead leg. Louise had to go off pretty much only because of the Brazil involvement while he's playing for Brazil, like, 36 hours or whatever before he was at Villa Park. <laughs> it's, and it, and it's, these, it's these circumstantial things that, you have to account for and it's it's and it's difficult to legislate for them because it's it's obviously very frustrating all any of us want is to see villa have a fully fit squad a fully fit first team and be able to have the players that we want to have on the pitch for full games and it's just that's not the way that the cookie has been crumbling for us this year and a lot of that you have to put down to bad luck and 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 you know circumstance um and so yesterday, like, very, very disappointing for me. But it's not something you can have a knee-jerk reaction over, I don't think. Like, for all we know, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that I think we will, but for all we know, we're going to pull out a great result against Arsenal on Friday. And then such is the nature of football fandom that you've forgotten about this game. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I think import, it is important how Villa respond on Friday against Arsenal. Like... Um, if we have a sort of, if it, if this is, I just really hope this hasn't really damaged their confidence. You know, I hope we don't see like a limp sort of shell shocked performance against Arsenal. As long as we're 
there and we're competing and we're in the game the whole time and we're showing as we've shown in recent years and recent games against top against you know traditionally top teams you know we've been showing that we can compete with these with these sites and as long as that continues then I find it hard to be too upset at this stage of the season to be honest yeah um I guess the one thing and before maybe we can even um kind of leave off on kind of maybe looking ahead to the Arsenal game a little bit of course we should have an opposition preview hopefully on Thursday um Seb should be manning that one so look out for that one uh, hopefully that's still happening <laughs> um at time of recording so fingers crossed uh but anyways the one thing I did want to mention before we kind of get to that is of course changing formation means kind of obviously dropping players and we've kind of touched on maybe who we think and how we think things should go. What do you really do with Tuinzebe? I, I, I kind of feel bad for the guy in the sense that I feel like the last time he had a kind of a shaky performance, obviously, or of course he couldn't play against United. So Haas comes in and sticks and has a good couple of performances. Um, the performance before from Tuinzebe was okay. It wasn't great. It was a little shaky at times comes back in for Wolves and was probably the worst out of the three center backs. Um, again, just gave away the ball too much, looked a little shaky. And I would probably have to say lost at times as much as I don't really like saying that about players. Um, and I feel like you go into the, I, I, of course, results are more important just one than one individual player, but I feel like you kind of drop them right now. And I, I just don't know what that does to his confidence, Tom, but how do you feel about it? Tuenzo is a really difficult one for me. Like I, I, you've got great memories of him, obviously, from his previous loan spells. Uh, you know, integral part of the team in promotion year, I think. And I have to say, I haven't, I don't remember having seen Tuanzebe play for Villa this season, and and having come away from the game and thought, oh, he played well. He hasn't progressed since his I, loan. I, I haven't really, yeah, I haven't really thought that he's played very well, and and. I think a lot of that just speaks to like you you know you're letting yourself in for a certain amount of teething problems when you're signing a centre back who doesn't play regular football. That's already an awkward an, an awkward position to be in. I mean, yesterday selecting him yesterday was an interesting one. I think I saw Smith say um, after the game, or I think I saw it, and maybe I saw Ashley Priest reporting or something. I can't remember. I saw it, but that uh, Smith chose to Anzebe over Hawes because he thought that Jimenez was going to start up front for Wolves, and so maybe it's Jimenez, relatively mobile striker, and maybe there was worry that K Hawes is extremely dominant in the air, and I think he's a good, um, a, a, a very solid defender. But I wonder if they wanted, they thought to Anzebe would be better at tracking Jimenez's movement and sticking tight to him all game and everything. So. You know, every decision, it's a good reminder that every decision has a reason behind it. But then, you know, A, Jimenez didn't start for Wolves. Um, and, and and B, I, I, I would have preferred to see Courtney Hawes in there, to be honest. I'm a big, I'm a big uh, advocate of when a player has earned their place, they have the right to keep their place. As long as you're not, and particularly when you're not changing the formation. So like it's different if a player has played really well one week, but then you're moving from five at the back to four at the back for the next game. And so somebody has to drop out, you know, and then you're the unfortunate one being dropped out. Like I think Horse has done more than enough to earn his place. If we're going to carry on playing a three center back formation. Um, and to Anzebi for me, it's just, it's a difficult one. Like obviously I want him to kick on and do well, but then Hawes for me has been better than Tuanzebe has in this three centre back formation, definitely. And with Tuanzebe, you've got to think he's on loan to us. Like at what point, I wonder if there's a chance that he has something in his contract from United that they want him to play a certain number of games or a certain number of minutes this season because he hasn't really been getting that time at United. And if you're if you're United and you're looking at either developing Tuanzebe to keep as a player, you know, a rotation player, or you're looking to sell him on for profit, you want him to be playing this season. Like, so you've got to think that United will have loaned to Anzebe to Villa at least under, uh, you know, at least under the impression to a certain extent that to is going to get fairly regular game time. That was what, that's what I would imagine. Um, and I just hope that that, if something like that does exist in his contract, or even if it's like a verbal, you know, thing, I hope it doesn't get in the way of us actually playing our players who are in form because I just, whenever I've seen Tuanzebe play, like he's a good, he's a good defender. He's a talented player, but I just have not seen um, 
consistency or even really much confidence from him when he's been on the pitch. Um, one other point I will make about the three at the back, just while we're talking about it, is I actually think it does Esri Concer a disservice. I don't think, I don't, Concer is, is an exceptional defender. And I think playing three at the back, I don't really think we've seen the best of Esri Concer so far this season either. And it's another example of the kind of questions that are being thrown up day to day, week to week, by the fact that we don't really know what our best system is. I don't think we came into this season necessarily assuming that we were, you know, Smith and the coaching staff. I don't really think we came into this season assuming that we were going to play five at the back. I think that's something that has sort of developed situationally, circumstantially through injuries and that sort of stuff. And then we played it at Chelsea. It worked, it worked pretty well, you know, all those sorts of things. And so obviously you need to be adaptable as a manager and as a coaching staff, but you also do need to have some kind of cohesive plan for how you're going to play. And I'm not really seeing it in defense and I'm not really seeing it in attack at the moment from Villa. And I think these are, it's only mid October, right? We're what eight games in a long, long way to go. I don't really think there's any threat of Villa being in proper danger long-term this season. So the argument would be that I suppose that when you're a mid table club like this now is the time to sort of try these various things out. The next one on the list for me, as I said, is when, whenever it is that Bailey and Traore are fit, let's try Let's try playing with wingers. I'd like to try playing with one up top and two wingers who have the ability on their day to be, you know, absolute game changers. It's not very many game changers in this Villa team at the moment. And I think it's that sort of excitement and that spark that we're missing. Yeah, massively. Um, quick thought on Tuanzebe. Like I said, I just don't, I don't feel like he's really progressed in since his um, second loan spell with us. And that's kind of the detriment of him. And that's, not probably leaving United, in my opinion. He probably should have if he really wanted to because someone that young and with that much promise at the time, it, it just it hurts you to sit there and be third, fourth, fifth choice, in my opinion, and only play a few, every few weeks in a Europa League or Champions League game, in my opinion, when it's like, I don't know, no disservice to like a Melmo or whoever they mm. would have played in the past. It's It's – it's a champions league, but it's really like some of the teams that get in there from random leagues. It's, it's really not even probably championship level at times. You would even say um, it, it, it's a tough one in that kind of mindset, but I guess kind of going into Arsenal quickly. Um, I, I just, I think you have to change it, but at the same time, knowing Dean Smith, I, I honestly, at, at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't because and I don't know if you agree with this, Tom. I, th- I think we'll play five but, at the back again. Yeah, <laughs> he's going because he'll go, well, we're up 2-0. And then, oh, that rest is just a freak show. I'm thinking he's going to do it again. You know he's yeah. going to do it again. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way to him, but you just know it's going to happen. Yeah. I, w- I would be stunned if he puts um, El Ghazi and Wendia out wide because I don't know what's going on with Traore, to be honest. Um, no, they haven't really said about the extent of what his injury was on international duty. Um, and like I said before, I think Bailey is probably a week too short and I still mm. think what, five or so days is probably too little. Um, mm. and again, I just don't want to see him for half an hour and then we lose him for another month. It feels like well, so, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna so, be, if we're not careful, there's going to be a desperation coming now where like we have to get Bailey and Traore in the team. Like I've been saying this whole podcast, I want to see them in the team, but what that doesn't mean is, you know, we have got to be so careful about rushing players back because the last thing we want is to be, you know, creeping up on Christmas time, you know, six, seven, eight weeks down the line and them still having only played, you know, little bits here and there. Well, we had that with Grealish last season. Yeah. He was hurt for weeks before that we lost him for ages. And and a kind of looking back on it in a reflective mood, he probably would have sat him a few weeks prior if he could have, and he would probably would have been fine. Um, it's game management. I, I I'm kind I get concerned and a few people reached out to me yesterday and thought we were going to get relegated, which is ridiculous. But anyways, um, that's literally the most knee jerk thing ever. But uh, I, I do get concerned with us getting into that panic mode of it doesn't really matter what your status is right now. You're going to have to play. And the short term gain for me, for some of these situations like a Bailey, it, it's not worth what it could mean for the long term effects of this season. And to kind of bring it all back to Dean Smith, I wonder what the real, we won't probably know the real objective 
like the true objective until the end of the season, whether he has another crack at a next season or they decide to move on to someone else. And then something probably comes out saying this was the objective we didn't, or we did hit it, whatever. I, I think the one last thing I do want to say about Dean Smith is he's got us promoted. He kept us up, albeit probably project restart saved us. Um, and that break massively saved us. Mm-hmm. Um, last season was very unexpected. Um, and I think we were probably one of the surprise packages in that sense, because I think with the few additions we made, I don't think many people thought we'd be as, as effective as we were. Um, and of course your expectations build every season. He hasn't been in this before. And I'm not saying that can be the reason why you give him some slack. I also just think it's one of those cases where you look at the kind of team that we've put around him now. Um, you look at your Shakespeare's and McPhee's and et cetera, et cetera. You're not going to get rid of Dean Smith after maybe a negative result against Arsenal or whatever, after paying all these guys probably for a year or two, whatever their terms are, their contracts and their staff. We're, we're not Watford. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, unless you want to sack him, I'm sure Ranieri will be free in about two weeks, probably. But uh, <laughs> at, at this rate, because I've already seen that Sanchez Flores is, uh, set to come back for his like third or 10th spell or whatever it is, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, we're in it for the long haul. And that's yeah. how I see it. It's, it, it's a really frustrating one, isn't it, Tom? Cause we want to be fantastic every week. And it, it, football is such a week by week thing where we have typically, unless it's like a busy period, like the Christmas period, we have so much time to sit there and reflect on it. And I think a lot of people build up what they think is going to happen in their heads. Mm. And when it doesn't come off to that kind of expectation or some kind of uh, percentage of that, we just kind of sit there and think like, well, this was crap, but this isn't what I wanted. And I, I think that's the one thing we all kind of have to keep in mind. And I don't want to say preach, like preach patience because eventually I that's know my people, job. That's your job. Yes, it is. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I hate saying it is what it is, but it is what it is. Um, we're in the situation where we just we're one of those sides of the season where we have a lot of injuries and they keep happening and it's affecting us. Um, you could probably go through the, every Premier League season in existence and there's at least one side that would have been better if they had their whole squad. And it yeah. seems like we're that one this season. But if you have any thoughts on that, let me know, because I think I'm all out of ideas. <laughs> And the, the last thing I think is just that like with uh, I won't I won't say the word patience other than just now, um, but it's the the consistency the call for consistency is an is an interesting one because you know you see it like uh, a lot of fans I think you can slip quite easily in, into the trap of thing like well we just need we need to be consistent every week like we're not going to get anywhere unless we're consistent every week and obviously to a certain extent in an ideal world that's true but how many teams are consistent every every week really. No. And like we said earlier, this podcast, like Villa have never been that team. And in, in my in my Villa watching life, Villa have never been a team where they've been winning week from you know week from week to week consistently over the course of an entire season. The best it's been like, in my memory is O'Neill. Like I said, even then we had some absolutely stinking results. And I think the thing the thing here is that. We, Wes Edens was at the game yesterday. I saw, I saw that this morning, and like he's gonna have been, he's gonna have been extremely disappointed seeing that. But he's also gonna have seen a team who, okay, we didn't play particularly well for the first seventy minutes, but we weren't, you know, we weren't calamitous by any means. And then we went two 0 up, and we should have had control of the game. And then it is, it's like a freak ten minutes. Okay, you can point to various things that might be the factors. It's obviously not good that we lost the game that way, but like these freak results happen. It's making me think of. And, you know, the thing is, it's happened. We beat, you know, we beat Everton 3-0 at home, beat Man United 1-0 at Old Trafford, lost to Spurs, which, you know, and we were in that game the whole time, really. And it's just unfortunate we conceded immediately after equalising. And then yesterday was really bad, but again, we were 2-0 up already. So, like, the, the, the signs are there, certainly, that we have it in us to not only win games, but, like, control games. And we, we have that in us. And it's reminding me a little bit of, I think, around about this sort of time last season, when we'd won, didn't, we won the first four, I think, didn't we, last season with that yeah. ridiculous start. And then we lost 3-0 at home to Leeds. And then 
We lost 4-3 at home to Southampton, having been 4-0 down inside something like 65 minutes, I think. And that Leeds and remember- result, too, was like, it It was, it could have went either way. I think Grealish missed that one-on-one chance that he yeah. definitely should have scored. And you, we probably would have honestly won the way that and game it, was going. Whoever scored it, first was going to win. So, And it somehow turned into the Patrick Bamford show after that. And yeah. like the Southampton one, the Southampton 4-3 at home, like that's the definition of a freak result. Like we were terrible for most of that game. And then we were pretty, pretty damn good for 15, 20 minutes as we were clawing <laughs> yeah. it back. And it's these things. And I remember after those games, we had the same things happening, you know, some, a certain amount of fans panicking, certain amount of fans calling for Smith's head over like two terrible results, completely ignoring everything that's come before and ignoring the wider context. And that's something that I have faith that, you know, we're talking about Watford and, you know, trigger happy club owners and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I have a lot of faith in, uh, Edens and Sawiris. And I think that not only do they know they're building a long-term thing, training ground investments, academy investments, you know, all the stuff they're doing, talk of the Villa Park, maybe expanding or renovating Villa Park. Like these are all signs of ownership who really want to build for the future. And okay, you can look at, you know, five years down the line, is Dean Smith going to be here? Almost certainly not. Let's be real. But I, I it's going to take something really, really dramatic i think for smith's job to actually be in danger in in the near future and so i think it should because he's taken us a very long way already we're a very uh, although we don't have the on-field identity really yet i do feel that like behind the scenes and off the pitch i feel like we're a very unified club from the ownership all the way down to the playing staff and that is the kind of stability that you're gonna get bumps in the road it's hard to make the step up from where we were last season, 11th mid-table with Grealish to stepping up to being better than we were last season, but without Grealish while we're trying to find a whole new style of play and everything like that. It's a really difficult transitionary season. And I think the ownership are going to recognise that. And I think fans should recognise that as well. I, I really think it's a case of adjusting your expectations accordingly. Um, we are absolutely destined to be a mid-table club this season, as, as far as I can see. I, I think it's very unlikely that we end end up higher or lower than the sort of eighth to thirteenth bracket. Yeah. Um, and I think that okay, there are difficulties that come with that. You risk losing some of your best players or whatever. But that's what most teams go through season over season. Like Villa, at the moment, as much as they're special to us. <laughs> Villa aren't special. Villa are, Villa are a middle of the road Premier League club, and these are the these are the pitfalls and the challenges that come with being that caliber of club. Um, and so I think, with eyes on the long term vision, you know, maybe we'll be talking differently if we absolutely nosedive and by February we're seventeenth or whatever. And it's a clear <laughs> backwards step, but I just don't really see that happening. I think we're going to win games we should win. We're going to win games we shouldn't have won. We're going to lose games we should lose and we're going to lose games we shouldn't have lost. Like that's the nature of being a mid-table inconsistent club. And you just got to sort of uh, buckle in for the ride, I think, really. Yeah, and I, I mean, the club has money, um, obviously. Um, there's no question about that. It, we're building for the future, but we're not going to build at the pace of Man City did or that um, Newcastle will be, I guess, technically rebuilding at um i guess the the they'll, they'll be the uh the premier league champions here probably in about three years with the way that people are talking um so that'll be interesting um but anyways um it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to watch newcastle do that and to be honest newcastle with that money i'd almost rather watch another mid-table or lower you know a lower table team i'd rather sort of watch them do that the, you know the saudi ownership and the throw money in and go for it really hard and go for instant success because I am uh, I am not convinced that is going to work out particularly well for them, at least in the short term, I've got to be honest. I'd no. rather be the slow builder. Yeah. It didn't work for City, though, for a while. I mean, they bought like Rubinho. Even that, and, exactly. Yeah. Even that took time. It's just, I don't know. It takes yeah. time, right? It's just, it's mental This the thing that you could see like a Cardi playing for Newcastle or something like that. But anyways, uh, with who they're all linked with, it's just, it's funny to see. But to be fair to them, they've had they have one of the probably the top fan bases that a lot of um, really any f- other fan base kind of admits is up there um, in terms of passion and the numbers. So they already have that. So um, at, at least that's there and it's, it's not going to be like uh, all the jokes that kind of uh, other fans have at man city fans where half their stadiums still empty, but anyways um, we won't make fun of them 
um, even though I'd like to uh, after the summer we had with them. But anyways, we don't need to go into <laughs> that again. Um, Tom, quickly, who was your man of the match? Uh, I'm probably going to have to. I think there's a, there's a few candidates, Brendia, Cash, but I think I'm going to have to give it to uh, my man, John McGinn. Uh, he's, he's excellent. Not only the two decisive moments, the goal and the assist, but just uh, really dynamic in midfield. Clearly happy to take on the responsibility of being one of Villa's key men this season. He impresses me probably more and more with each week that passes at the moment, really. So uh, I'll give it to Kinney. Okay, yeah, fair. No, uh, that's who I gave it to on the player ratings on the website as well. I think it's unanimous. If you get in a goal and it's just in any game, you're probably up there. Um, he was outstanding it was, yesterday. It wasn't a fluke either. Like, he just ran the show in the midfield. Um, I thought Dougie Louise had a very good game considering... Mm-hmm. Considering, yeah. He's considering, been, been on the Red Bulls, I think, before kickoff. Literally. So, um, at least our midfield's in good condition, because I don't know the last time I've probably ever said that, aside from the last couple of seasons, at least. So, that's nice to feel that, at least. But anyways, um, we'll wrap it up there. Um, the one thing I did want to mention, there'll be a... I guess listeners will hear it back, is there would have been a little blurb at the start of this podcast to kick it off about Acorns and um, the Just Giving page. And uh, yeah, that's live now um, at time of, I guess, you guys hearing this. So whenever day that is. Um, so feel free to donate, of course, like I said, in that little blurb, it's we're aiming for about a thousand dollars. So give what you can if it's uh, one pound, a dollar, uh, five, ten, whatever. It's always appreciated. Um, and it's going all towards acorns. None of it goes towards us. It's just to benefit a great charity that's very, very important within the community and has kind of a, a very good kind of, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's in a special place in many people's hearts um, within uh, Birmingham in that area. So yeah, donate. That was a very, very uh, poor description of that. But anyways, hopefully you guys got through that. Anyways, uh, be sure to like the podcast on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Leave a review. Of course, it's always appreciated. We we'll, should be back, like I said, um, with a um, Arsenal preview, hopefully on Thursday. Hopefully that works out. But anyways, if not, uh, we'll be back after the Arsenal game and hopefully it's a better result. But anyways, we'll leave it there. And don't forget, up the villa. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com